12.04 on a Sunday, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell is the number always to call and talk to Savannah as we get into this. Also, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and outside of the hour that we're on the air, it's 416-216-5910. We always start uh, with the week that was, brother. How was it? It was uh, it was a very busy week, John. Uh, happy to be here again. And, uh, you know, I, right after the show, actually, I got a voicemail uh, from a gentleman that I ended up uh, speaking with. And, uh, you know, he heard me speak quite a few times now about the fact that family members uh, and, uh, you know, anybody who sort of uh, related or, or knows somebody who's injured who helps them out, uh, compensated, exactly, right? exactly. But he's a friend, right? And he heard me talk about family members. So his question was very simple. I have a friend uh, a year and a half ago. That person was in a car accident. And I've been really helping that person quite a lot with shopping. Uh, you know, I, I helped them, uh, cu- you know, cut the grass, snow clearing, all that kind of stuff. Can I actually get compensated? I mean, I was doing this as a favor because it's a, you know, it's, it's a buddy. It's, it's, it's a buddy. Yep. Exactly. And I said, absolutely. And here's what you need to do. Uh, you need to speak with your friend. You need to draw up a small agreement. Okay, nothing formal. It can even be handwritten, uh, you know, dated. Make sure that it itemizes exactly what it is that you're doing for him uh, and what the rate is. And, you know, don't put down a ridiculous rate. Put down what's market rate. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If you're helping him go shop, I don't know, 12 bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour, right. whatever the market rate is. Uh, same thing with snow clearing. Anything you do. And, uh, you know, make sure you record or you have logs, weekly logs, daily logs, monthly logs, nothing complicated. Something that says, you know, I was here uh, for, I don't know, three hours this week. Here's what I did for you. Uh, And, you know, you owe me that money at some point in the future. Okay, now you've now created this document, which now can be advanced by the person who's injured as an out-of-pocket expense. Now, the fact that you are a good friend and the fact that you're not charging your friend right now, to 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 uh, do all these things, and that you're willing to wait, that doesn't discount the fact that you're providing these services. If he didn't have you, he would have had to hire someone to do that, and so that is compensable. So I said to him, I said, "Here's what you need to do, or you can have your friend uh, give me a call, and I can explain that." If that person has a lawyer already, frankly, that lawyer should have actually explained to that and individual exactly and tell yeah. them that if you're utilizing anyone, whether it's a family member or a friend, you should be keeping track of that kind of stuff. So for people out there, if, if you know you have a family member or if you have a friend or an acquaintance or your neighbor, if you're doing certain things for them, you can get compensated for that, uh, usually when there is a settlement of the claim. But it's very important to document it properly, and it's very important to have that conversation with your friend, your neighbor, or your family member, uh, because they are the ones who are going to be advancing that claim. You mentioned it was a year and a half ago. Can they? Can he claim retroactively? Uh, yes, absolutely. Oh, cool. It, okay. it, it, the only, I guess, difficulty with that, it, there's no difficulty claiming it. It's just that you know you have proving to sort it? of proving it. You yeah. have to estimate what you did. But you know, at the end of the day, if somebody you know has difficulty walking after an accident, or you know has an issue with their shoulder and they need some help it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they're going to get someone, a friend, a neighbor, someone to help them. So, you know, you can sort of estimate, well, how many hours, uh, you know, in the last year and a half uh, on a monthly basis was I helping that person? Why wouldn't you? Nothing venture, nothing gain. Well, right? absolutely. Exactly. And, and again, it's compensable. The law yeah. allows that person who's injured to, to claim that as an out-of-pocket expense. What else you got? All right. So uh, this, is a, this is also a very interesting thing. Uh, on Tuesday, I, ha- I received a call from a former client of mine. This is, a, this is a gentleman that was in a car accident in early 2012. And that person uh, had an objective injury. By objective, I mean that uh, he, he actually broke uh, his wrist. He didn't suffer any income loss, but he, he suffered that injury. 
and I was able to engage the insurance company. And within about a year and a half, a year and a quarter, I was able to to resolve that claim uh, for a very nice amount. It was actually a close to a six-figure settlement. Come on. Yeah. But, but, but here's the interesting thing. The reason why he called me uh, is because he's actually calling on behalf of his friend. They were two of them together in the car at the okay. time of the accident. He came to me. I represented him. His friend went to another lawyer. And the reason he's calling me is because his friend is having questions about the fact that my former client settled his claim uh, within a year and a quarter, a year and a half after the accident, and his friend, the, the, the other person, is nowhere near settlement. Still languishing. Not only still languishing, there's no settlement in sight. They're at the discovery stage, which is usually halfway through an actual claim. Yeah. So, you know, all I could tell him is that, listen, it's probably too late for him to jump shrimp or anything, but... Here's what he needs to to speak with his lawyer about. I mean, and by the way, his friend did not break anything. His friend had, from what I understand, soft tissue injuries, you know, like the back pain, neck pain. Again, extremely important that these claims don't sit on the shelf. Uh, They have to move forward. And by the way, a lot of times I'm able to resolve these kinds of claims directly with insurers, in other words, with adjusters, particularly when you're dealing with a more senior adjuster Mm -hmm. who's been around the block. They've done these kinds of cases. They get it. You know, there's no there's no, uh, you know, nobody's hiding anything. The Mm -hmm. documents show what they show. And, And in that particular case, incidentally. Liability wasn't an issue. In other words, that those people were were my client was not at fault for the accident. So really, there's no reason why an accident that happened in early 2012, uh, we're now in 2015, and it's nowhere near resolution. Makes absolutely no sense. But it's an interesting contrast between my client, who had resolved this case, you know, Mm -hmm. two years ago, and this other gentleman who in the same car when he's going to get the money. Right. We'll take a quick break. Get to one more, and your phone calls will get to you. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is Savan's email. You want to ask him a question or. Call him directly after the show, 416-216-5910. The Insurance and Injury Law Show right here on Talk Radio, AM640. 1213, yeah, give us a call. You can also uh, email Savan anytime, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and his own number on his hip is 416-216-5910. We always go to our treasured callers first. Got uh, Joe in Brampton. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hi, how are you? Good, pal. What do you got to say? You got a question for Savan? Go ahead. my friend. A quick question. We have a friend of the family, uh, this individual has had heart conditions. I mean, she, yeah, she just got back. She just came home from the hospital. She had another minor heart attack. She's had heart condition for over six years. Uh, she had problems with her uh, legs. She can't stand on her feet more than an hour or so. Her legs swell up on her. To make a long story short, the only thing she has is CPP from, the, I guess, a long-term disability. And uh, she's applied already. And uh, they've denied her the first time. And apparently she had to reapply, which she did so. Uh, I mean, is it, is she wasting her time reapplying over and over? Is that standard procedure, or like she's she's confused? She doesn't. Know, I mean, her doctor tells her that she should get it for the simple reason that she can't stand on her feet too long, and the smallest little stress, you know, gives her problems that nobody would hire. And it's not she does any type of easy work. It's uh, you know heavy lifting and stuff like that. What do you recommend she should do? Just keep fighting the government, or just lay down and um, it is what it is. Okay, so Joe, so just so I'm I'm clear, we're dealing with CPP directly here, right? We're not talking about long-term disability through an employer, right? In other words, is she applying for CPP at the government or was she employed at the time? Okay, government, all right. Yes, sir. Uh, Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, Given what you're describing to me, her physicians uh, should definitely be be able to provide reports which should then be given to, uh, to CPP. Uh, if CPP denies, uh, there's an appeal process. You can actually appeal the decision, and a lot of these appeals are successful. 
really all you need to show with CPP is that the, the illness or, uh, you know, the inability to, to uh, work effectively is chronic, it's long-term, and it's serious. It's actually not a very difficult test given the disability that you're describing here. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, my, my, I mean, feel free to give me a call, uh, you know, after the show and, and I can help a bit more. But there is no question based on what you're telling me right now. I mean, I've dealt in the context of long-term disability, uh, which we're going to get into a bit later. Yep. I, I usually tell people that, you know, make sure that you apply for CPP disability as well. And there is a process for that. And sometimes, you know, people get denied. Uh, surprise, surprise. And you're trying yeah, to get right. money from the government for disability. Uh, and, and most of the time when I tell people to apply, it's because they really should be getting that money. So uh, when they are denied that, we appeal it. And in the vast majority of cases, we're successful in getting them CPP disability. So that's my advice, Joe. Make sure that uh, she does apply. Uh, and if she's denied, appeal it. Uh, give me a shout and I can help more. Joe, that number, 416-216-5910. Got uh, Liz in Mississauga. Hello, Liz. Hi, guys. Great Hi, show. We listen every weekend. Oh, appreciate Love it. it. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, uh, the question I have is uh, in terms of a plaintiff expert report in mm-hmm. a tort matter, mm-hmm. I-, I wanted to know which credentials are viewed more favorably or carry more weight, uh, assuming each of these experts writes good reports, uh, would it be a psychologist or a psychiatrist in it for a psych report? Well, that's a very interesting question. What it, I'm assuming the injury we're talking about is, is an emotional or psychological issue that we're dealing with, right? Correct, yes. Okay. So just for the benefit of our listeners, John, mm-hmm. uh, what Liz is asking is in the context of a tort claim, which means a, a legal claim for an injury usually or, or a long-term disability claim, if you are hiring an expert, I've talked about hiring experts yes. before, how important it is, who do you hire and, and for what uh, uh, purpose? And the reason why this is a very good question is because many lawyers actually fail to understand the distinction between a psychologist and a psychiatrist and when you should get which. Uh, and so with a psychologist, obviously, we're dealing with someone who has a PhD uh, and with a psychiatrist, someone who is an MD, uh, a medical doctor. Now, Liz, the, que- the answer is it depends. Okay. Uh, and, and it depends because if I'm dealing in a situation where uh, my client has a lot of emotional trauma, let's say, in fact, I have a case right now where I have a lady who has a lot of, of you know, I- emotional issues from childhood which because of a car accident, for whatever reason, uh, came up to the surface. And so what I did in that particular case is I had sent her to a psychologist. As far as I'm concerned, it's a psychological issue. Now, the defense lawyer had used a psychiatrist. I think that my expert, given the issue that is at stake here, which we're dealing with, you know, the issue of of, uh, the the emotional trauma, the, the psychological issues, barriers, potential split personality that has uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, arisen as a result of the incident. A psychologist is more qualified. But, you know, psychiatrists, I usually use them when, when I'm dealing with, with more of a, I would say, quasi-medical situation. So, for example, you know, if there's a chemical imbalance. Uh, there's prescriptions if, needed. If there's prescriptions right. needed, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, for some people, the, the two letters, the MD, uh, is is worth more, if I can use that bluntly, worth more than a PhD. I, I, that's not correct. It really depends on the situation. So, so you know, Liz, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to tell you more uh, or, or to tell you maybe in, in your situation or whoever it is that you're calling on behalf of, uh, if I knew a bit more about the injuries that we're dealing with. So in a legal context, in the legal community, 
it's neither one nor the other. It depends on the situation, and that's generally Completely. that's generally accepted. Completely. And I'll tell you more than this. I have situations a lot of times when someone has issues that deal with with the emotional aspect of the injury, and that's part of why, for example, they have difficulty working. Well, in that situation, I'm sending them to a very qualified clinic. In fact, one of the top ones in the country. And the people there are, are psychovocational experts. So okay. they deal not only with vocation, but they have the psychologist degree, the, the PhD, or whatever you know degrees associated with that. I'm not going to I'm not going to send them to a psychiatrist. Again, very very important to be sent to the right expert because that is the person we're going to be asking to provide an opinion, and the opinion has to be relevant. Incidentally, if the opinion is not relevant to the injury or to the issue that we're dealing with they may be disqualified down the road if the matter ever proceed to court. Wow. Uh, one more uh, information, Liz, outside of show hours. As always, you can call Savan, 416-216-5910, or email him, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the show coming up right here on Talk Radio, AM640. And back we are at 1222. You want to give us a call, you can call us at uh, 416-870-6400, or you can call uh, Savan after the show, 416-216-5910. want to get to some emails as well, uh, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I got one from Carrie here. Uh, just came through some and uh, from Toronto says I had a car accident four months ago. Taxi hit me from the side. I uh, was trying to change lanes. Still off work. My insurer hasn't paid me income replacement benefits. What can I do? That's supposed to be the first thing, no? Wow, that that is the first thing. And you know, it's it's interesting. Most of the time, people come to me and and they've been in a car accident. We've talked about that. If you were employed uh, for a certain period of time, um, you know, let's say a year or so before mm-hmm. the accident, uh, after the uh, after the car accident. Uh, you know, you are entitled to certain benefits. And yep. one of the primary benefits that you're entitled to is income replacement benefits. Right. They should be getting that. And most adjusters will immediately uh, talk with the person, get the information they need. Even if there's no lawyer, there's no paralegal, it's crucial. Just right? get it happening. Get it happening, exactly. They're entitled to it. But sometimes I do see people coming to me, like Carrie, uh, who say, listen, I've been off work. And, and most of the time, by the way, the, the, uh, the benefits that we're talking about, they usually exceed $400. Sorry, the, the entitlement is over $400, right? They're entitled up to $400. Right. And, and they come to me and they say, well, I haven't been paid any of that. And I'm amazed by that because the adjuster should know that the person is entitled to it. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we do immediately when, when that person signs up and we, we are then able to represent them is we shoot a letter out same day to the insurance company, get the benefit going, and then retroactive. Okay. And I'll tell you this, I get my letters in these situations are fairly aggressive because there's absolutely no reason in the world why the adjuster who knows very well that this person yeah. is probably relying on this money is not getting this money. So, Carrie, we can help. This is this is really not difficult. And for everyone out there who's listening, when you're in that situation, we're not getting anything from that. That letter goes out. You're not paying us anything for that. We get paid when the insurance company at some point is going to cut you off because they always do, because they don't want to pay more than they have to. Uh, and, and then we get into a bit of a fight with them. We negotiate with them. And so when we get paid is, is when there is an issue down the road, not right, right now, not to get you those benefits that you need, that your family needs to survive on right now. That's frontline money. You need frontline right money. You got to yeah. have that. Absolutely. Ruth from Hamlet says my husband was denied long-term disability because of insufficient medical documentation. Says we were uh, counting on this money to survive and pay the mortgage. He suffers from severe sciatica pain and is also on antidepressants. Uh, don't know what to do. Okay. Well, insufficient medical documentation. When I see that again, means absolutely nothing to mm-hmm. me. 
Effectively, what the adjuster is saying is we just don't believe you. All the letters you've sent us from the doctor, all the, all the records we've received, you know, we just don't buy it. And sometimes they won't just say that. They'll say we've had our medical team or medical doctors, whoever we have on our, you know, on our roster, yep. review this stuff. And, and, you know, they say that they can't see anything uh, that supports your disability. And oftentimes, in fact, most times, that doctor or that medical person hasn't interviewed this person who's injured. They haven't assessed them. It's just a, a document review. Uh, so, Ruth, I'm sure that if your husband is really in as severe uh, a pain as, as you're describing, not a difficult thing to, uh, to, to resolve. Uh, again, usually we just uh, communicate immediately with the insurance company, make sure we have all the medical documents we need, make sure we have the proper reports that we need from the treating physicians, who I'm assuming in this case are going to support Ruth's husband. We present that to the insurance company, and they're given a choice. It's a very clear choice. You either pay them and you pay retroactively to when the application was made and ongoing on a monthly basis, or we start a claim. And when we start a claim, effectively, that's like putting a gun to the insurer's head. They have to do something. Either they're going to argue with us, they're going to negotiate with us some kind of a resolution, or they're going to basically put you on the, uh, on the payment plan. They're going to start paying you. They can't get away from it. They can't just put, you know, bury their head in the sand. 416-870-6400, star 640. So let me ask you, so how does, how does the insurance company react like if an injured person hires a lawyer to represent them? They get all, you know, what, what generally happens in that situation? Is it more difficult to settle? Yeah. No, it's not more difficult to settle. And, and that's a misconception out there. People think, oh, if I get a lawyer, I'm going to piss off the insurance company. No, you won't. All you're saying by getting a lawyer, and again, it depends which lawyer, because lawyers have reputations. Uh, it depends on whether or not they specialize in a particular uh, uh, you know, type of law. Uh, when, when, when an insurance company sees a lawyer on the other side, and it's, it's a lawyer or a law firm they recognize especially, they're just going to take that case more seriously. That adjuster who's getting that claim, if that adjuster has 100, 200, 300 cases on their desk, they have two piles there. There is the pile for the unrepresented litigants, and then there is a pile for those who have lawyers. Right. And the one that have lawyers, they know that they have to comply with timelines. They know that there's someone there watching their every step. So, no, it actually increases the likelihood wow. that your claim is going to get resolved. Do insurance companies want to settle claims or they just rather just battle it out and for years and years and stall and not pay? Well, that's uh, – okay, so, so here's the answer to that. Uh, they love to settle claims. And they don't love to settle claims because they love to pay. No. They love to settle claims because now that they've settled the claim, there is an end to it. They don't have to worry about paying a defense lawyer. They don't have to worry about, uh, you know, at the end of the year, showing on their balance sheets that you have a gazillion cases ongoing. You know, I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you something that the insurance company uh, industry doesn't like people to know, which is this. Uh, th they may deny your claim, whether it's a long-term disability claim, an injury claim. They may deny it outright. And, and in the letter that they send you, mm -hmm. they may seem so sure and so confident that you have no case. Maybe even the adjuster came to see you, you know, taking your statements and said, you know, we reviewed everything. And really, you have absolutely no grounds to make a claim. And then you have an insurance lawyer or an injury lawyer that specialize in the area start a claim. Their tune changes fairly quickly. Not in every case. <laughs> right. In fairness, not in every case, because a lot of times when they deny claims, there is a legitimate reason. But in the vast majority of cases that I deal with and, and I see, by the way, both as a lawyer that represents people who are injured, as well as a lawyer who used to work for insurance companies, mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes when I worked for insurers and I got a claim on my desk, I would look at the claim and I would say, why didn't you just pay it? You've now just complicated the matter. And so I would work overdrive for the insurance company 
to try and settle the claim. Again, what does that mean? It means that insurance companies do like to close files, they do like to resolve claims, and frankly, sometimes they'll even overpay a bit just to make sure that the claim is resolved and that you know they don't have to pay Get any more money the books, on right? their defense lawyers. Take a short break. You want to ask some questions, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Savan's number directly is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the insurance and injury law show on the way on Talk Radio AM 640. You can also email Savan, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and his number is 416-216-5910. Got uh, Dave in Deseronto. Hey, Dave, how are you? Yes, uh, good day, good day. Uh, thank you for your show. It's very interesting. Um, I have a situation where I was uh, driving my car, and an electric scooter woman uh, had a very small bump, you know, with the car. And uh, I was, you know, police were called, and I was considered the primary, uh, you know, uh, person with the accident. Now, the person has highly exaggerated the, uh, the injury, and, um, you know, I my... You know, I have an at-fault uh, record now, and, um, you know, uh, I'm just wondering how the insurance company is going to deal with this, because if you're saying that they just want to pay her off, uh, this is like insurance fraud. And I'm wondering uh, yeah. what insurance company is going to prevent this. It was a scooter? A little scooter? Yeah. So, so David, let me answer that question, because uh, I actually do get uh, quite a few people calling me and, and uh, emailing me and, and referrals from other lawyers who know that I, I help people in your situation. Uh, what I will tell you is what I tell most people, first of all, is if you had legitimate, uh, sorry, if you had proper insurance, that's what I mean by legitimate. If your insurance was intact, everything was fine, uh, you know, you weren't driving without a license, uh, then all you have to do in this situation is you have to let them know. So if you received the letter, I'm assuming it was a letter you got in the mail uh, that said that, uh, you know, they may, there may be a claim uh, started against you at some point for injuries. That's a standard uh, uh, notification. In that situation, all you do is you call your insurance company, the insurance company you had on the date of the accident, okay? So if you change insurers, you don't give it to the new insurer. You give it to the one you had on the date of the accident. And, uh, you know, they will take care of this. If there is a lawsuit at some point, they will defend you. And standard insurance here in Ontario is uh, $1 million uh, in third-party liability limits. What does that mean? It means that if you are sued by someone as a result of a car accident, uh, your insurance company will uh, potentially resolve the claim up to a million dollars. And and when some people um, uh, give me a call, uh, sorry, when, when they call me or they email me and they have issues, uh, concerns, because they've been sued for more than that amount, okay. uh, th- then at that point I really get more involved in, in the claim because I have to make sure that this person is not going to be exposed for the over-the-limits portion. Now, Dave, you were talking about the fact that uh, – uh, you know, it was a very s- tiny collision. Uh, you know, the lady seemed fine. You know what? That's going to come out down the road. She can't escape the fact that she she's going to have to produce all her medical documents. Your insurance company, whichever insurer it is, they're not just going to pay out. Right. They're going to request to see medical records. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to investigate uh, the, the accident a bit more. They're going to talk to you about it, but they will defend you. If your insurance was fine on the date of the accident, then you have nothing to worry about. Yeah, but you see, there's something called objective injury and subjective injury, right? Right, but I'm not going to get into it right now. Effectively, what objective injury means is that, you know, things like fractures, th- things like you can see on yeah. an x-ray. And subjective means things like, uh, let's say, uh, uh, more headaches or uh, back pain, neck pain. The fact that she has subjective or she has she doesn't have objective injuries doesn't mean that the injury is not serious. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know the situation you're dealing with. 
But I'll tell you this right now, your insurance company is going to do its due diligence. They're going to request all of this lady's medical records, and, and they're going to see. They're going to see what's there. And if, in fact, it, it looks like she's just scamming the system, she's not going to get paid. I can tell you that. Yeah, but in the meantime, I'm getting an ad fault uh, on my accident on my drug record. Right, right. And I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, unfortunately, that has nothing to do with whether she was injured or not. That has to do with who was at fault and what did the police say on the scene. Oh, uh, I see. But, yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. it's even more than that. I, you know, there's nothing that I can do as a lawyer or any lawyer can do uh, to change an insurance company's mind about how they classify you after an accident. What you can do, though, and I tell people this all the time, is you can contact uh, the ombuds person, the ombuds uh, uh, man or woman for that particular insurance company. You can just Google that, and, and you can launch a complaint process with them. And then, you know, hopefully that will resolve the matter. They're going to look into it. But there's nothing that me as a lawyer that I can do to change the insurance company's classification of whether or not you were at fault for the accident. Maybe replace the scooter. That has to be done. Yeah, I mean... Or send her on a cruise. There's lots of them there. I'll have to wait and see. Uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Uh, let me ask you a question, though. Talking about settlements since we're kind of on yeah. that topic. Uh, why do some people get different settlements for the same injuries? Oh, I love that question. Uh, and, you know, I do personal injury. And, and, you know, as many of our listeners know, my partner, Lior Samfiro, has uh, the I employment hour. Right, you know that guy, right. The employment hour right after uh, this show. And, and, you know, he does employment. And we get, we both get inundated with these kinds of questions, Mm -hmm. particularly from people who are switching from other lawyers to us because they have concerns with the lawyers that they're with. Here's the thing. First of all, you can have uh, two identical injuries, but the facts are never going to be the same. You're going to have people of different ages. The injury is going to affect each person differently. Mm -hmm. You're going to have someone, as an example, that fractured their wrist, uh, but they were unemployed at the time, and so they're going to get compensated for the wrist fracture, but there's going to be no income loss claim. Whereas you have someone who fractured their wrist. And they're holding a hammer drill every day, right? You got it, exactly. And that person is 45 years old, making 50 grand a year. Can you you imagine what the income loss is, right? So so that's one reason why not all settlements are equal and the same. The other reason is, and we've talked about that before, is that you have to make sure that your lawyer claims for absolutely everything. Right. That your claim is maximized. And, And that's something that, you know, unfortunately... The lay person, uh, someone who doesn't have this experience, who, who is not in the legal world, you will not necessarily know that. In fact, you probably will no, not know no that. Way you will. And we see this a lot with um, with employment cases, not just injury cases. You know, where you have some lawyers who will settle claims for a fraction of what they should be. And it's only when you listen to a show like this. And by the way, I got a call last week after the show from someone uh, who who was in that situation, but they signed a release. They had actually settled the injury claim. Uh, and and they heard me talk, and they said, but wait a second, I only got X, Y, and Z, and, and I asked them more about the facts of the case, and I'll tell you right now, they probably left about 50 grand on the table, yeah. just without even delving into the case a right. bit more. So absolutely crucial to get the right advice. It's like going to the right doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine if you go to the wrong one and you get a bad you know, diagnosis? Exactly. You got to make sure that you go to someone who really specializes in this area uh, and someone who has the experience uh, it does help if they've worked on both sides of the aisle. You know, like you. Yep. It, it, it does help. I mean, th- there's no way around it. I mean, you're getting a perspective on how insurance companies work. 
Uh, and that's it. You just have to make sure you always question your lawyer and that, and that you know what's going on with your case. It's your case. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell, 416-216-5910. That's a number you can keep on you all the time to get a hold of Savan and his email as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the insurance and injury law show right here on Talk Radio AM 640. Yeah, please give us a call up till uh, close to 1 o'clock. If you have any questions for Savan, we can answer those. Or outside of show hours, 416-216-5910. We just talked about settlements and the reasons why different people for a, a very similar injury would get different amounts. Are the settlements taxable? Well, if we're dealing with a personal injury uh, and, you know, we have all variety of components, uh, pain and suffering, uh, there's some income loss, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When you get an all-inclusive sum, uh, no, that's not taxable. It's not taxable. However, when you're dealing with long-term disability, it depends on whether or not you paid for the insurance, for the disability insurance. If it came off your pay at work, you, you mean? You got it, exactly. If the, if the employer is the one who had paid for your uh, coverage, uh, then, yeah, it's going to be taxable for long-term disability, but not if you were the one who, who were contributing to the plan. How about that immediate, uh, immediate income replacement, that up to 400 bucks? Uh, it, you know what? As, as, far, as far as I understand, that that is uh, that is taxable because that's okay. an actual income replacement, uh, and it's categorized as that. But generally, if you're in a in a situation where it's a personal injury claim, you're going to have a whole bunch of of, of um, parts of the of the of the of the compensation mm-hmm. uh, structure. At the end of the day, you're getting a check for one amount. It's not split. And so I usually okay. tell people, listen, go to your accountant. I'm not an accountant, but as far as, far as I know, uh, no, it's not taxable. You probably get this question a lot, too. Does it make sense to wait and see if the injuries get better before you actually start a claim? It depends. And you know my view about waiting. I don't like to wait on these things. No. Certainly, let's characterize the question a bit differently. Uh, uh, it certainly does not make sense to wait before seeking legal advice. So if you're injured or you have a disability claim, you should get that legal advice ASAP because you may be making mistakes along the way. Already. That, yeah. Exactly. That may, may be detrimental for a potential resolution in the future. Uh, and some, some of these kinds of mistakes I actually can't repair. Uh, there's certain things like a limitation period, for example, that you may miss that I can't do anything about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, in terms of starting a claim, it depends. It really depends. If you're dealing with someone who, you know, was in a car accident yesterday and there's a few aches and pains, they think they're going to go back to work tomorrow. I would tell them, listen, uh, here's what you would potentially be entitled to depending on what happens, depending if the injuries go away or not. Uh, but, yeah, I would certainly wait a little bit of time. I would not wait in situations where it's it's a very serious injury. You know, if there is a break, uh, if if um, you're you're in a situation where there is no break, uh, for example, but you can't work, mm-hmm. in those situations, I start claims fairly quickly for a very simple reason because it takes some time to resolve them, and you want to make sure that the insurance company is involved from the outset. So so don't wait. That's that's the way I look at these claims. I was talking to a friend last night, this is true, and uh, he said his mom slipped and fell on a step leading up to City Hall. Uh, she's fine. Went to the clinic, had some bruising. The clinic doctor said, hey, you're okay, you probably just bruised it, just rest, take it easy for a little while, so on and so forth. So she didn't pursue any further. I told her, and I think this is correct, that if she was going to you know, file some sort of claim or acknowledgement, it's got to be within 10 days. Should she even bother, or should she do it? Well, you know, the 10-day rule is under the, the Municipal Act, and, right. and that's uh, reserved for sidewalks, for, for icy sidewalks. But here's the thing. You know, if you know you slipped and fell, why not give notice of a potential claim? That's what I told her. Exactly. And, I mean, she was on her way there. She probably could have just done it. Well, I don't, I don't know how bad it was if she had to be taken away or carried away, but it's important to give notice to whoever is responsible for that area as soon as possible. It's also important, as we discussed before, in slip and fall cases – 
to make sure that uh, if some photographs are taken of the area so that we can document what caused you to slip and fall. As we know, John, not every slip and fall means that someone is responsible. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you trip on your, on your own two feet. My advice is pretty good. Yes, pretty, your advice is very good. Pretty good. good. I Excellent. passed the first test. Y- yes, you did. But yes. there will be no more tests. Thank you very much. Well, we'll see about that. Uh, <laughs> the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Scotty from Vaughn says, I slipped on ice. There you go. Last week and broke my ankle. Mm. Uh, they had to do surgery. And I've been told that I may need another one depending on uh, what they see on the x-rays. And next time he goes in, says I'm a plumber and I'm very concerned about how long I'll be off work. My company told me to take as much time as I need, but I'm using vacation days. What can I do? Okay, well, first of all, we have to start this claim very, very quickly because obviously Scotty is going to be in, in, a, uh, in a very uh, difficult financial predicament. And it's great about the, um, you know, the, the employer being accommodating. And in fact, they have an obligation to, to do that under the law. Uh, but you know, he's using vacation days. I have yeah. no idea how many vacation days. I can tell you that uh, under the law, uh, there are cases that support the proposition that if you're using vacation days, uh, which are allotted for your vacation, but yes. as a result of someone else's negligence, so now you got to take those off, you got to use those so you don't lose money, those are compensable. You can actually advance alongside your claim uh, a claim for those lost vacation days and whatever the equivalent worth uh, in dollars uh, those are. And I've done that in the past. And I'll tell you, I always get pushback from defense lawyers on this. Do you know why, John? Why? Because uh, most plaintiff lawyers don't actually advance that kind of claim. I have to educate a lot of defense lawyers on the case. Like, what is this? Exactly. In fact, I had a case, uh, it was last year, where the the amount of days uh, that this lady, as a result of a very severe ankle fracture, mm-hmm. there you okay, go. there you go, uh, was equivalent to close to $20,000. And that got tacked onto the claim. And I, again, I had issues dealing with the defense lawyer, uh, but we resolved them, and she was compensated for that time that she had to take. Wow. Yeah. 416 870 6400 star 640 on sale. Another segment to go here. You want to send us an email? Drop one quickly. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And Savannah, keep this number with you 416 216 5910. We'll return with more of the injury and uh, insurance and injury law show here on Talk Radio AM 640. We'll uh, get to a quick phone call here in our last segment. In fact, we'll bounce right over to Brenda. We don't have to wait very long, but, uh, Brenda, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, no, you got I a question not. for Savannah? Yeah, thank you. I'm sure. just wondering, um, I was turning a corner. So I was doing about maybe 5 or 10 kilometers. The girl who rear-ended me was doing about 85 or 90. Mm. She took a lot away from me, mm-hmm. and she never got charged. I don't understand that. I'm assuming the police was on scene? Yeah, uh, they did come, yes. Okay, and did they speak with you and with her? Yeah, I believe, yeah, they did speak with me and with her. And all she said was, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. It's all my fault. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, how do you... Like, yeah. Pardon me? Sorry, go ahead. Well, we were on a straight road, right. uh, beautiful day. She had a whole mile to see me. When you're driving, you're supposed to be looking ahead. Mm-hmm. And she didn't see me. Okay, and... uh oh, texting. Yeah, did did, uh, did the police uh, tell you why they did not charge her? Uh, no, actually, I, I'm just I filled out the papers and sent them in to find out the report to see what's up because I that just really bothers me a lot because I've I've been arrested well not arrested but you know um, charges on me I never hurt anybody you know what I mean and she's taken my job away she's taken a good part of my activities away okay. and. There was just no charge, and I—I I mean, I have to live with what it is, right? But Brenda, when did this happen? Uh, last July. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, uh, 
it goes without saying, irrespective of the charge, uh, that uh, I'm hoping that, you know, given everything we've discussed and, and what I was explaining, that you were getting benefits and are getting benefits from your insurance company. Well, I was till they cut me off everything. <laughs> okay, well, again, classic story. Have you done anything about the cutoff? Um, actually, it's, uh, it's, we go to court in this summer in okay. July. Okay, good. Good. Um, okay. So in, in terms of whether that person was charged, I'm not sure that they were not. It's actually not going to affect the claim, your claim. Uh, and the reason for that is, is this. Uh, if, if that person re-rendered you, they're going to be deemed to be at fault, irrespective of whether or not they were charged or not. Uh, and that's not going to affect your claim itself. Now, I know that from, from a purely, I guess, emotional standpoint, you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a second, that person should be charged. Mm-hmm. Whether they should be or not, I, I don't disagree with you. I agree with you completely, especially since, you know, she ought to have seen you. I mean, you weren't turning a co- – you know, you, you didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, but, no. but, that, but that's something that I would leave for the police to do. And, and you know what? Maybe if you get the full police report, you'll see that she was. I mean, I'm not even sure here that, we, we, you know, we, we can be definitive that she wasn't charged. But what's more important is that whether she's charged or not will not affect your claim. And you should have a claim, an ongoing claim, not just with your insurer, but as against her. So that yes. her insurance company is involved. Now, is that something that's happening right now? I believe so. Okay. Uh, that's a, that's a, that, that statement tells me that you're not really sure. So if you do have a lawyer, make sure you ask the lawyer. Because if you haven't been working since last July, your claim against that driver should have already started. In fact, should have been started uh, last year. N- oh, not, it not was. We okay. did start one last year. Okay. Okay. So, so with respect to your question of why she was not charged, I can't answer that. I, I have no idea what happened. At, usually in these situations when it's a re-rent collision, it's a straightforward accident like that. We know who's at fault. The person is charged, and usually the charge is careless driving under the Highway Traffic Act. Yeah. Right. So it's just a matter of waiting and time and... Right. And everything. right, but your your concern really, if, if I were to to tell you what I think you should be focusing on, should be obviously on getting better, uh, trying to get back to work, and dealing dealing with your lawyer to make sure that you're compensated fully for all your injuries. Because just from the just from listening to you, you know, these last few minutes, I, I can tell that it's taken a lot from you and probably from your family. When should you generally go see a doctor after an accident? Uh, you should go see a doctor, I would say, the same day if possible. If you're not going to the hospital, uh, if you're not being carried to the hospital, which a lot of people are after an accident, a serious accident, uh, you should be going either to your family doctor or a walk-in. At least a clinic, right? Yeah. A clinic, yeah. I mean, I, I, some people come to me and say, you know, I haven't seen my doctor and it's already been a few weeks after the accident. I'm in tremendous pain. And I say, well, you don't have to wait for your doctor. I mean, if, if it takes a long time to get an appointment or if the doctor's on vacation, go to a walking clinic. You know, go, go, go somewhere. Make sure that you get checked out. Forget about the legalities here. You just got to make sure that you get physically checked out, uh, you know, to make sure that they diagnose you with whatever the injury is so they can prescribe treatment. But also from a legal standpoint, if you don't go to a doctor or seek medical help shortly after an accident, if you do it, let's say, a month after the accident, right. When it comes out down the road, when the insurance company looks at your medical records that you have to produce when you make a claim, they're going to, you know, scratch their heads and going to say, well, how serious is this injury if you, you know, waited for a month before seeking medical help? Right. Again, that's just common sense. But for some people, you know, they're very busy. You know, they, have, they have families. They have kids. They have, you know, they work through the pain. But, but it's going to have an impact both from a medical standpoint because you're not getting the right treatments and it's going to have an impact from a legal standpoint because it's not going to look good uh, down the road when you are going to be advancing a claim. What do you tell your doctor and why? You tell your doctor absolutely everything okay. about your injuries. Uh, in fact, one of the things that insurance companies look at when you make a claim 
uh, particularly if it's a few months or even a year or so after the accident, is they will try and match up your complaints, uh, you, the injuries that you're saying you suffered from the accident, with the initial uh, complaints of pain that you had made to to the ambulance attendants, to, to the paramedics, to the hospital staff at the ER. The, the defense lawyer or the adjuster is really going to comb through your records, and, and they're going to look at, you know, you're complaining now of right hip pain. Mm-hmm. Did you complain about that shortly after the accident? Because if you didn't complain about that, then it calls into question as to whether or not the accident was responsible for that hip pain. And, and you know, I'm dealing with a case right now where uh, the, the onset of hip pain, and by the way, it's, it's a more severe injury. It's not just a hip pain. There's actually something that this person may end up needing surgery. Because, because my client didn't actually complain about that pain for about a year or so after mm-hmm. the accident... I'm having a difficult time connecting the accident to the hip pain. And, and, and oh. it, we're dealing with a fairly significant uh, injury. And, and that temporal uh, nexus, that, that, that uh, um, you know, blank area, that, that piece of time that I can't connect is going to impact the settlement right. in the future. So you've got to be on top of you've it You've got to be on top of it, yes. We'll take it for another week, my friend. Good show. Outside of show hours, you want to get a hold of Savannah, you didn't get your question asked, no problem. 416-216-5910. You can email them as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll do it all again next weekend right here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show and Talk Radio, AM640.